back to the Minute Waver podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And it's the first episode of the new year, 2021. Woohoo! 2021. I am ready for all that 2021 has to offer. I've already ready fucked to- up the date so many times. Oh, okay. I, I, thought you, I didn't know what you were going to say when you started with, like, I've already I've fucked already up. Fucked like, up. I was like, oh, what'd you do? I've ruined the year already. What, what'd you do? Um, for our listeners, uh, I I do have a bit of a little, like, chesty thing going on. I have a bit of a, a chest cold. So if I sound like I've smoked about six packs of cigarettes today, <laughs> I haven't. Um, a, I haven't. Just, but B. Yeah. <laughs> Only four today, um, not six. Um, yeah, so I apologize if uh, I sound a little, I sound a little um, congested. I don't know. You but, sound uh, great. Yes, today like, we are recording via distance, yeah. but uh, that's okay. That's all because right because I get to look at Grace's beautiful face the whole time we do this, <laughs> and uh, we're both we're both drinking a beverage and yeah. got to celebrate. Yeah. You know. I'm trying the new propeller. Well, I don't think it's new, but I've never really had the Sasquatch. Is that from the propeller. Sasquatch? It's like so, my new favorite propeller. It's so fun good. Fact, Sasquatch hops are the first hops that are native to Nova Scotia. So they're 100 mm. percent grown and produced and native to Nova Scotia. That's so cool. That's awesome. And now that I'm saying that, that might be a lie. It might be okay. Canada. <laughs> it might be I think Canada. It, I think it might be because it's talking about BC on the back of the can. Yeah, so it's Canada. It's yeah. not Nova Scotia, but Fair. it's the first all Canadian hops. Interesting. That's so um, cool. That's really awesome. That harvested. So a very yeah, Canadian beer cool. for our Canadian history podcast. Yeah, and so they made the beer with like it's only they've done a I think like a couple of brewers around have done like some Sasquatch hops, some like citra hops, like other stuff. But that beer is all Sasquatch hops, which are all native to Canada. It's really good. I was wondering why it was called Sasquatch um, because mm-hmm. I was just like. You know, Sasquatch, you used to think, like, it's like, oh, it's going to be, like, really hoppy or whatever. But it's not. It's, like, really, really good. I really like it. Nope. It's a really, it's really good. Yeah, I got some for Christmas, too. It's super yummy. (laughs) But uh, what are we talking about today? So I thought, you know, we should kick 2021 off with a bang. We'll do, like, I think a favorite. You and I love sports. So I figured that we would do the rocket today. Yes. Maurice yes, Richard. We will. We <laughs> shall. Oh, have you watched the movie? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure. Sh- is the Heritage Minute taken from the movie? Or yes. N- yes. I, I wasn't yes. sure because I know that the scene that the event that they talk about in the Heritage Minute, it's him like I think it's him breaking most points in a game. Yeah. Um, he's, he had like eight I- points at the end of the game or something. And it was after yeah. him moving the family into their new apartment. So it just opens with him, like, moving a couch. And then he's like, oh, yeah. i got to get to the forum. And he goes down and he plays, like, like brilliant hockey. i got to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he seemed, I don't know, like, we've, you and I have talked about him a little when the first outbreak of COVID happened. We uh, were talking about, um, oh, Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe. His rival, and how he yeah. has yeah, a bit of a unique relationship with the Rocket. And then we talk about Jacques Plant and how he was like a young player when the Rocket was like already well into his career. Yeah. Um, so. And how he had conversations with him. And so uh, uh, just such a pinnacle of Canadian sport. And tonight, while we were recording this episode, is the final game of the World Juniors. Oh, yeah, um, that's true. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> and it's Canada. It's Canada versus USA tonight. Ooh, so it's a big game. That'll be a good one. Big game. Yeah. 
Yeah, so like my my family are big Canadians fans. Like we've always been Montreal Canadiens fans and Us Montreal too. Canadians are like a very historic team, bit of a drought in the modern era. They haven't won the cup since 93. Um but like they are Hey, that's not as long as Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> that's, <No>. true. that's true. <laughs> Everybody can just rip on Toronto, but um Yeah. Yeah, they have like the team itself has the most cups of any other team. And a lot of them were won during this era of like Richard and Beliveau and all of these Mm -hmm. amazing players. And my grandfather, he went to school in Quebec. He went to university in Quebec and grew up in St. John. And is like his his dad is French, like very strong affinity for the Montreal Canadiens. And as an adult, he got to meet the rocket like he met. Maurice Aww. Richard, and Aww. my grandfather decided to tell him, he's like, hey, you weren't my favorite hockey player. <laughs> it's like, was oh. favorite. yeah, it's like, yeah, you're great. You weren't my favorite. Jean Beliveau was my favorite. <laughs> and the Rocket, who, as we'll go through, like, not the most even-tempered person in the world. Um, okay. Not what he was known for. Uh, but in response to my grandfather being like that, I'm pretty sure the story is he just went, he's like, oh, yeah, he was a beautiful skater. <laughs> but I, I feel like it's kind of refreshing, maybe, of like, I like yeah. you, but you weren't my favorite. <laughs> it's, like, uh, okay. it's like, I was, you know how there's this whole bit about Tony Hawk, how people don't recognize don't think it's Tony him. Hawk? Yeah. <laughs> And I was reading this like Twitter thread and it's so funny. It's like Tony Hawk and he's like driving through a drive through and the guy at the counter's like, whoa, you look like Tony Hawk. And Tony Hawk's like, yeah. And then the guy's like, I wonder what he's up to now. Tony Hawk's like this. Yeah. I think my favorite was like, yeah, it was like he was going through a drive through or something. It was like Starbucks. So it was like, it's like Tony Hawk. And he's just like, yeah, it's just, she's just like, like the skater. And he was like, yeah. yeah. She's like, no, you're not. And he was like, okay. I'm <laughs> like, not. I guess I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, so, he was so cool when I found out that's his birth name. Like his birth name is Tony Hawk. I just always assumed that it was like a stage Ow. name. <laughs> but then I'm like, destined. it's skateboarders. <laughs> you, are, you are destined to be like a skateboarder or a rock star like, if yeah. you're given that name. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, huh. That's just no way that's his real name. I was like, no, it's Hawk. <laughs> Yeah. That'll be what I tell him. I'm like, that's not your real name. And he's like, And he'll okay. be like, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> you know more than me. <laughs> okay, so maybe Tony Hawk, like, fell into the same vein as The Rocket. Yeah. But uh, we're not talking about Tony Hawk today. Unfortunately not. Uh, tell me about Mr. Maurice. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about Maurice the Rocket Richard, which Maurice is I not his that- first name. So right. I wish that he got called like Mo or something. Mo instead of Maurice. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that's like that's like a nickname for Maurice. Like, yeah. Mo. Yeah. I guess like I think most people just call him Richard, I guess. But I, yeah, or the rocket, I guess. Or the yeah. rocket. Yeah. But uh, no, his first name, his first two names are Joseph Henri. So he's Joseph Henri Maurice what? Richard. Uh, and he was born on August 4th, 1921. Ooh. Uh, so his, both of his parents are originally from our favorite region of Quebec, the Gaspé region. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but by the time that Maurice I was born. I listened to La Bolda. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Oh, that would be 100%. excellent. 100%. Definitely just like bopping to the, yeah. the Bolda. Yeah, bopping. <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
By the time that Maurice was born, the family had moved from Gaspé to Montreal. They lived in the Nouveau-Bordeaux neighborhood. And Maurice was the oldest of the Richard children. So he has three sisters, Georgette, Roland, and Marguerite. And he had four brothers. So in total, there's eight of them. Um, Holy moly. Yeah. One of his brothers, Henri, who we will talk about later. um, But I thought his name was Henri. I know, right? (laughs) You can't (laughs) name both your kids Henri. (laughs) You the, French are like, the French have decided that there are 10 names in existence and everybody gets this, like, you get to pick. That's it. <laughs> it's like, you name me your girls. It's like, first name, Marie. Okay, the second girl, uh, middle name, Marie. The Marie. third girl, uh, let's go back to first name, Marie, but call her by her middle name. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, these rules aren't real. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll talk about Henri later because he becomes a teammate. Of, of oh. he's the pocket rocket who is like oh, right, right, right. the center yeah. for the Canadians later on. Yeah. Um, Maurice's father was a carpenter by trade and he worked for the Canadian Pacific Railway. The Great Depression oh. was really hard for the families because they're pretty lower class. Um, his father really. winds up losing his job in 1930 mm-hmm. and he wouldn't get his job back for six years. So for six years, the family is just like living mm-hmm. on food stamps. Yeah. Which is like, a pretty rough childhood, especially for the oldest boy, because I feel like there's yeah. a lot of financial responsibility put on your shoulders from a pretty young he's age. He's still only like barely a teenager. Yeah, he was like nine yeah. when the Great Depression struck. And then yeah. by the time his father gets his job back, he's like 16. Yeah, yeah, that's hard. But nevertheless, Maurice received his first pair of skates as a gift from his father when he was just four years old. Much of his childhood was spent skating on local rivers or on the small backyard rinks his father would construct for the kids during the winter. Despite this... What a good dad. I know. That's an A-plus dad right there. Did you ever have, like, a home rink? Was that a thing? Uh, Never had a home rink, but, like, there's just so many ponds and stuff. Like, everybody, like, played on the ponds and went skating and, yeah, like, they're always around. And then, like, the rinks and stuff, but never, like, never, like... In Lunenburg, there's just not the space to flood a backyard, really. Like That's in true. the towns. It's very compact. So, so people played like at the ponds and stuff. But um, I know a couple people now who like have kids and like have flooded like parts of the yard, which I think is cool. That's cute. Yeah, we were always pond skaters. There was like a pond kind yeah. of near our house. And uh, when I when we were pretty little, like I must have been like seven, maybe we uh, we went and uh, my young my younger brother, Aiden, this is like one of the first winters that he could like kind of skate and he went out on the pond ice and pond ice has like all these bumps and stuff and he was just like mom look I'm skating on the bumpy part and just like totally face planted (laughs) into the ice and like split his eyebrow open and it was like well that's the end of skating for the day (laughs) oh god but actually no like we had like a ER doctor with us like his kids were skating with us and he he just like picked up Aiden before my mom could even get to him. He's like, all right, I'm just going to run him up to the hospital. We'll be back in 30 minutes. (laughs) Okay. Back on track. Back on track. His dad, he's making them rinks. He's a cool dad. Cool dad buys his son skates as a gift. Love it. At four years old. At four years old. Um, But despite this, he never played organized hockey until he was 14, which is around the time that he got his dad got his job back. So I think it's mostly they probably just didn't have money to put him in organized leagues. Um, But it didn't specifically say that. 
Um, so instead, he had to, like, hone his hockey skills in, like, backyard games of shinny or, like, street hockey. And then in a game called Hog. I don't know if you've ever played Hog. It's basically, like, keep away, but puck. So you just got to like the whole point is to try and like hog the puck as long as you can. And hog was the Rockets favorite game. He he kind of followed through with that. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Not known for being a passer. Yeah. Not known for really being, um, you know, the guy who makes the assist. No. Um, (laughs) So we would like hold on to the puck at all costs. He was so good that he would just like charge other players on purpose and be like haha look you can't take it from me he would just like skate through people he wasn't a small boy no he was a pretty big guy and I I, sounds from the sounds of it sounds like he was always a big kid like yeah yeah not like Gordy Howe big but like yeah Gordy Howe was a brick wall he's a brick wall he's exactly the kind of like guy you expect to come from the prairies oh yeah 100% (laughs) So he was, yeah, like, he's so good that he's, like, basically, like, this game is a joke, but it's his favorite game. Um, He was also just, like, a really talented multi-sport athlete. Uh, He loved boxing. He loved baseball. Um, Listen to Grace, kids. If you want to be a good athlete, play multiple sports. Multiple sports. It's true. Life lesson from the minute with it. But it was, like, really clear that hockey is his passion. Um, yeah. he's finally able to afford organized hockey leagues at around the same time his dad gets his job back at the CPR. And so he takes full advantage of this opportunity by which I mean, he cheated. So like most <gasps> leagues at the time are like, you can only play for one team. Like you can only play in one league. You can only like do this, blah, blah, blah. And so he would sign up under pseudonyms to play for multiple teams. So he's like, oh. I'm going to play as much hockey as I can. <laughs> He just took all of his first names <laughs> and played them. It's true. He's not even lying. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's my name, I swear. <laughs> so he's usually he usually signs up over, under the last name Rochon instead of Richard. That's his like oh. his alter oh, ego. That's his, <laughs> so clever. You've got all those first names and you decide to change your last name. Yeah. <laughs> Weak. So one of the teams that he winds up playing for is the Bordeaux, which was like the toughest team in the local parish. And Ooh, in the local parish. Yeah. <laughs> Quebec has parishes team. instead of, yeah. I don't know what, we would have districts maybe, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Somewhere yeah. around there. Um, and Maurice is like by far the youngest player on the team. Um, but even at this really young age, he demonstrates his ability to win, leading his team to three consecutive championships. So in the 1938-39 season, um, while playing with another team, the P.E. Paquettes, he scored 133 of the team's total 144 goals. Okay. So 11 of them. (laughs) (laughs) I just imagine them being like, you got to like calm down. (laughs) Yeah. Please let someone else. He's like, "Mm, can't stop, won't stop. Uh, I'm French. Don't you know that? I don't, <laughs> I don't share. I don't. Really well. I just, are you upset? <laughs> we're winning. Yeah. Are you mad that we're winning? Because we could lose if you want to. <laughs> you want me to lose? <laughs> you lose, you loser. So at 16, uh, Maurice did what many poor Canadian youth at the time did, and he dropped out of school. Uh, so he yep. could join the labor force. 
Classic. Yeah. He was brought on as a machinist with his father. At 17, he was noted as being quite a quiet young man, but clearly like the best player in the area in hockey. And therefore, he was like the best player in basically all the Quebec leagues. After er, games, often the players of the Bordeaux team, they would go back to their like coach's family home. Their coach, from the sounds of it, it sounds like their coach is like the same age as all the players. (laughs) So he's just like their friend. Um, Yeah. So they if like, you can't play coach, those yeah. you can't play coach, you know? <laughs> so we like, they go to his family home after games and they like have sandwiches and like they turn out the radio and they would like dance with like the dates that they brought to wow. this guy's Ooh. family home. It's like a weird social. <laughs> um, and like Maurice hates dancing, even though he's like, people are like, he's a pretty good dancer, but he hates dancing. He won't do it. Uh, nevertheless, the coach's younger sister, Lucille, is like, I'm going to dance with this guy. He's the best player. He's the guy I'm going to dance with. <laughs> okay, Lucille. She, like, loves hockey. She knows a lot about hockey, and that's why she's like, Maurice is going to be my guy. We're going to dance. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And so then the two started dating. and Oh, so they, they dance. They dance. They dance oh. quite a bit. She's 13. He is 17. Oh, my God. So, you know, a little like, hmm, but it's also the past, and the past is yeah. gross most of the Girl. time. <laughs> Girl, get it. You had good foresight. <laughs> Imagine being 13 and dating a 17-year-old. I can't. Like, but uh, yeah. basically, like, he's so quiet, and she is so, like, unabashedly outgoing that they, like, kind of compliment each other really well. I like that. Um. Boys are immature anyway. Yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't just Lucille who was recognizing his, like, hockey talents. The whole wider hockey community is starting to appreciate that, like, this kid probably could go pro. Um, Okay. At 18, Richard joined the Verdun Juniors, though as a rookie, he saw very little ice time in the regular season. He scored four goals in the 10 regular season games and added six goals in four playoff games as Verdun won the provincial championship. Okay. He was promoted to the Montreal Canadiens affiliate in Quebec Senior Hockey League in 1940, but suffered a broken ankle in his first game after crashing into the boards and missed the remainder of the season. So now he's in like oh, the I'm, farm league. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure he did not take well to that whole broken ankle incident. <laughs> it's something that he's going to have to get accustomed to because the only thing he does more than score is like brutally hurt himself constantly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So the injury aborted his hopes of joining the Canadian military. So we're now in World War II, and he was, like, pretty set on going overseas. Interesting. But the recruitment center deemed him unfit for combat because of the broken ankle, which makes sense. Yep. (laughs) And you know what? I can already tell you that the Montreal Canadiens franchise thanks you, World War II Doctor who told the rocket he couldn't go. <laughs> Thank God this man didn't die. To you guys. Yeah. <laughs> By his side through all this is still Lucille, and Aww. she proved adept at like kind of guiding him through these trials. She's very much like a his emotional support for a lot of this, and it's like true of both his like regular life, but also his hockey life. His hockey life is quite tumultuous. And so they wind up getting engaged when he was 20. So 
her family is like, you're kind of young. You're only 17. But they eventually yeah. approve and they got married on September 12th, 1942. Yeah. So okay. she's still nice 17. Little, nice little late summer wedding. <laughs> late summer. September is a great time to get married. Nope. So Maurice recovers from his broken ankle um, in time for the next season. So the 41-42 season of the QSHL. Mm-hmm. He returned to the Canadians and he played for 31 games, scoring uh, 17 goals before suffering another regular season ending injury, this time a broken wrist, um, which Not he good. earned in an entanglement with the defenseman and then he eventually crashed into the net. He okay. did manage to heal in time for the playoffs, though, and demonstrated some top flight skill. The NHL Canadians, so like the, the parent team of uh, the okay. farm team he's on, were kind of like suffering at this point. They're in a bit of a drought. They had lost several important players to the war effort and were struggling to draw fans out to games. Additionally, there was a drought of Francophone players in particular and who they had kind of this like unofficial first dibs to. Right. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't know how official it is. I'm not a huge like hockey historian, but like the Canadians basically just get all the French players. And if you're not French, then you go somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how true it is today, but I know that that was a big part of the Montreal Canadiens, like a hockey franchise for, yeah. for it's like for its beginnings and like a lot of like throughout. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't really know how territorial the rest of the league is. Like if you're from Toronto, then you'd by default wind up on Toronto, but definitely language wise, if you're French, you're going to probably wind up playing for the Montreal Canadiens. Right. Um, but at this point in time, there's just not a lot of up-and-coming Quebecois players, apparently. Okay. So the team itself at this point was basically like a losing franchise. Um, they hadn't won a cup in 12 years, which doesn't sound like too crazy. But at this time, there's only six teams for anybody who doesn't know. So like the fact that you, you haven't... I don't think they had even played in a Stanley Cup game. Yeah, they hadn't played in a Stanley Cup game for 12 years. So that right. means you're like in the bottom two thirds of the league. For, That's a long time. For a long time. Yeah. The, these circumstances combined with Maurice's spectacular 41-42 season earned him a tryout with the Montreal Canadiens. And he wound up mm. signing a contract worth uh, 3.5, or no, not 3.5 million. <laughs> Imagine. I didn't say in the 20s? No, just $3,500. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes, that makes a lot more sense yeah. for the time. So he signs a contract for $3,500 for the year. Okay. And uh, okay. he, he was given the sweater number 15. So that's his first number. Okay. Okay. And then he winds up scoring his first goal uh, on November 8th against the New York Rangers in 1942. The first of okay. many goals, as we will get into. Yeah. First, NHS, uh, uh, first NHL goal. First NHL goal, yeah, November 8th. But it didn't wind up being the start to his professional career that he had hoped for. So injury again sidelined Maurice um, during his rookie season. So he actually only ends up playing like 16 games before he breaks his leg. Oh, This string of broken bones so early in his career left a lot of people wondering if Maurice was just too fragile to play at the highest level, which is so funny because if you ask people, like, how would you describe the rocket? No one's like, oh, he was so fragile. Oh, fragile. (laughs) 
I was going to say, he needs to drink more milk. <laughs> he needs some milk. <laughs> he needs some dairy. Yeah. Get the dairy union. Yeah. Get one of those get commercials. Boy, get that boy a cow. <laughs> it's like, congratulations. You've been signed to the Montreal Canadiens. We here have $3,500 for you and a cow. And a cow. <laughs> Please drink named, up. Named Bessie. Named Bessie. <laughs> She'll take care of you. <laughs> Team cow. <laughs> I love that. He made a second attempt to enlist at this point. So I guess like every time he gets injured, he just sounds like one of those men who like as soon as they have to like sit still, they can't do like they're just like can't do it. They have to be doing something. So he's like, well, if I can't play hockey, I'll guess I I guess I'll go to war. Yeah, that's the next logical solution to this. (laughs) Yeah. Um, This time. Yeah, they're like, no, man, you got a broken leg like. Last time we turned you down for a broken ankle. You think we're going to let you come in with a broken leg? No. Idiot. (laughs) Idiot. And then they also did x-rays for, like, this recruitment process. And they showed that his bones hadn't healed properly. I bet Lucille's just like, okay, honey, you go down and you register to go to the war. It's like, okay. I'll be right here. If that makes you happy. (laughs) I'll be right here knitting you a sweater for when you're back. In two hours. (laughs) I just imagine him not even saying what he's doing, though. You just hear, like, stomping down the stairs and then going out the door. And she, like, looks out the window and she's just like, he's going to the recruitment office, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) God damn it. With his crutches. With his, on his crutches. Can I go to war, please? <laughs> like, pushing himself in a wheelchair. Like, please, I swear I can walk. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they do x-rays. They show that his bones haven't healed correctly. And it was actually, his ankle wind, wound up being so permanently deformed that he had to, like, relearn skating. Like, he had to change his skating sky- style to accommodate the broken leg. Whoa. Yeah, he's, he's like, broken. <laughs> That's messed up. Humiliated by the rejection of the recruitment office, he intensified his training and reported to Montreal's training camp for the 43-44 season fully healthy. Lucille oh, and Maurice, they had their first child during this year. Oh. Um, they have the re- arrival of their daughter, Hugette, and this prompted Maurice to change his uniform number to nine to match her birth weight, which I thought was so cute. That is precious. I know. What a big baby, too. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, what a dude. Like, just all, just all happy walking in, and he's like, uh, hello, may I have a number nine? Number nine. <laughs> Noof. And they're just like, noof. And, they've, noof. and they're just like, okay. And then he just watches me smiling. <laughs> it's my baby. C'est mon my baby. Li- <laughs> my feel. <laughs> we apologies to the province of Quebec. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm so yeah. sorry. Our, our weekly I mean, apology to every French-speaking yeah. person. <laughs> you have a beautiful language. To every, yeah, go listen to the Le Bulldog episode episode where we only say wonderful things yeah yeah this is a shout out to you (laughs) yeah so for the first time in years maurice manages to stay healthy for an entire season and he so he's appearing in the vast majority of the games he's in 46 of the 50 games he led the canadians with 32 goals and tallied 54 points which was third best on his team (laughs) 
it was his yeah, he's fir- feeling good yeah like yeah he's like finally kind of healthy enough to play and you get to finally yeah. see that he's like oh yeah he's like worth the money he's he's worth the the gamble um yeah his first NHL season not only ended the criticism about his ability to play in the league, but established him as one of the best young players. Their coach, Dick Irvin, shifted him from left wing to right wing to put him on the forward line with Toe Blake and Emmer Locke. This trio, which has the best like sports nickname, so their starting line is called the Punchline, which is like... Oh. So good. I love that so much. Um, also characterizes they're a bit of a, a, a rough and tumble team. They're a bit rough. Yeah. They're a bit rough. A little rough it's and tumble. Like you, uh, you, um, you've never seen it, but the movie Miracle, yeah. uh, which is a hockey movie, there's a line in that movie, like on the team, the hockey team, which is true. They were actually called this, but they're called the, the Coneheads. The Coneheads? <laughs> Uh, because they're kind of like at the beginning, they're like kind of like you're like, oh, they might just be three pylons. But then they end up just working really well together. And so uh, so they call them the Coneheads affectionately. <laughs> um, and then in the end, you know, where like the credits roll and it tells you what all, what happened to all the people. It's like from the Coneheads. And it's, like, <laughs> it's, all them. it's really cute. Uh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the punchline. Yeah, the punchline. What a, very, a name. Very good name, very intimidating line. Um, they're definitely one of the most dominant scoring units throughout the 1940s. The Canadians only lost six games after no, uh, after October and went on to win the franchise's first Stanley Cup championship in 13 years. Maurice Ooh. led the league in the playoffs uh, with goals, so he had five goals, or sorry, he had 12 goals, five of which he scored in a single game. Um, against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh. And this... Well. well. (laughs) And this was uh, record-tying for most goals in a playoff game and resulted in in him being named the first, second, and third star by uh, sports journalists. (laughs) Ooh. Maurice was named to the second team all-star following that season, and it would be the first of his 14 consecutive years being named as a league all-star. Look at him go. Things are coming. <laughs> so in this You're a star, kid. You're a star. <laughs> he's a star. Well, actually, he's a comet. Um, in this early point of his career, he was nicknamed the Comet. Um, so it was... It wasn't... Wasn't that what Jackie Robinson was called? Yeah, like something like that. But they the called... Bla- the was, Black Comet Yeah, it was like a little <laughs> racist. A li- and like, by little, like, I mean a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, Jackie, we've got a nickname for you. He's like, I'm ready, let me hear it. And they're like, the black comment. And he's like, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just I Montreal. Think, I think that's what it was. They called him that in Montreal. So this is just Montreal being yeah. like, someone's got to be the comment. We got a nickname. <laughs> this is like the best nickname. Somebody's got to be it. <laughs> Somebody's got to be the comment. It's you. We're so <laughs> insistent. <laughs> um, but it wasn't until his teammate Ray Getliff remarked that he went in like a comet or he went in like a rocket as he approached the opposition goal that Maurice's name kind of got shifted to the rocket instead, which is just better. Like yeah. Maurice oh, the better. Comet Richard, Maurice yeah, the no. Rocket Richard. Yeah. 
just yeah it's so much better and so then yeah he winds up getting dubbed by uh two sports writers baz omira and dink carroll they were both credited as like the first publications to call him the rocket um cool yeah so the nickname described his play in terms of like speed strength and determination teammate and then later uh coach toe blake so we talk about toe blake in the jacques plant episode he was the coach right. during that period of time right 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 yeah he said that the moniker was fitting because quote when he would take off nothing got in his way that could stop him goaltender and teammate jacques plant declared it one of the most appropriate nicknames given to an athlete noting the fierce intensity that often showed in richard's eyes comparing it to the rocket's red glare re- uh, referencing the star spangled banner yes plant's a bit of a poet <laughs> <laughs> Um, And then Glenn Hall also agreed. Glenn Hall stated, what I remember most about Rocket was his eyes. When he came flying toward you with the puck on his stick, his eyes were all lit up, flashing and gleaming like a pinball machine. It was terrifying. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's poetic. It's like, like chills, like, okay, I'll be over here. You just do your thing. I, I love how much documentation there is about the Rocket's eyes. Like, right? people are just mesmerized. Was, I mean, he wasn't known for being bad-looking, Grace. But not only were his eyes terrifying, so was his style of play, which I think is what he's more known for. Than, I think so, That is yes. dazzling eyes. Uh, the Rocket played hockey during a particularly, like, gladiatorial style of hockey, by which I mean <laughs> you could do whatever the fuck you wanted to somebody else on the ice. <laughs> Yeah, and this is, as we know from Jacques Plante, this is, like, pre-mask era. Pre-mask, um, pre-helmets? Mm-hmm. Like... This is... Yeah, this is just boys and blades. Just <laughs> blades and glory. <laughs> yeah. Many players were veterans of the Second World War, uh, which some people have kind of associated with the violence that would take place on the ice. Um, but also they were guys who like just didn't really have time for finesse. They're like, all right, we're, we're here to play hockey. I'm not here to be a beautiful skater. I'm here to yeah. like get the job done. Yeah. Most played a very physical, violent style of hockey and the Rocket was no exception. He had a partic- and he also had a particularly bad and short temper. He <laughs> was a pure goal scorer. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, not known for passing much. Yeah. Um, which my favorite stat about the Rocket from doing this is five times in his career, he led the league in goals scored and never yeah. once did he lead in points. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so if, he's, if you look at statistics, yeah, usually your highest, your, your people with the most points are not only like, yes, they're scoring goals, but they are also making a lot of assists. They are playmakers. Yeah. Um, and he does not sound like a playmaker. He sounds like just a play doer. A play like he doer, just does yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, no, no, no. I got it. I got it. <laughs> and it's not like he's not playing with other extremely talented players. Like the Canadians are stacked during the time that he yeah. plays for them for the most part. And so he's with these other really high caliber players and he's just like, nope. I'm not passing anything. Uh, one of his teammates remarked that Maurice wouldn't even pass you the salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. 
But yeah, he's an incredible scorer. He's extremely adept at dashing toward the net from the blue line. And he was equally good at scoring with his forehand and his backhand. So he's Mm, a very talented stick handler. Yeah. One of Maurice's most famous accomplishments was the record of 50 goals in 50 games, which he achieved Mm. in the 44-45 NHL season. It was a season full of records for him. So this is when the Heritage Minute takes place. It's in this year. He set a new mark for points scored in one game, which he achieved by five goals and three assists. That's a lot of assists for Mr. Richard. For um, him, yeah. yeah. In a in a they nine- were accidents. They were totally accidents. Like he <laughs> yeah. lost control of the puck, and someone just scooped it up. Or like it was technically an assist, but he just like kind of like yeah. bumped it the wrong way by accident. Yeah, <laughs> like, and it hit someone else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he did this in a nine-one victory over the Detroit Red Wings on December twenty-eighth. It's a yeah. That's oof. so his record of eight points. Uh, broke the previous record of seven, which was held by three players in a tie. And then it stood for 32 years until it was surpassed by Daryl Sittler in Ooh, okay. 1976. Don't know of Mr. Sittler, but... I don't know that man, but Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> Played a hell of a game. <laughs> <laughs> and then also famously, he did this after moving his family all day. So the family now has seven children. Right. They need a bigger oh home. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so move the kids and the wife into a new apartment, I believe. That's what they show in the Heritage Minute. It's him, like, lugging a couch upstairs uh, into a new apartment yeah. building. And then, yeah, he goes and plays, and he has this, like, amazing game. Oh, um, sidebar. I just Googled it. Derek Sittler played for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs. So. I'm sure he was real rival. proud of himself. Mm. I'm sure he felt really good. <laughs> Whatever, Settler. <laughs> so he continues to score at an unprecedented rate, and by February 1945, he was approaching Joe Malone's 27-year-old NHL record set in 1918 of 44 goals Ooh. in one season. Joe Malone, huh. coming for you, bud. Don't know him personally, um, but congratulations on your record. <laughs> uh, We're happy for you. Yeah, that's like... The oaky smoky days of of yeah. the NHL. Yeah. So he broke the record uh, against Toronto on February 25th. Um, as Maurice got closer to 50 goals, his opponents grew increasingly violent towards him to prevent him from scoring. <laughs> so they're just Boys. like, we Boys can't let this guy. So <laughs> I know. Like, we can't let this guy score 50 goals. So, uh. Beat the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah, the coach is like, why don't you guys get better? And it's like crickets. And they're like, no, we're just going to beat him up. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, yeah. It's like, you could play defense. It's like, mm, that doesn't sound like my style. <laughs> yeah, doesn't sound as fun. So to, to keep scoring, he had to fight past slashes, hooks, and even players who just like draped themselves over his back like a backpack. Because everything went, everything went in the early days of hockey. They were like, you want to hang on to his ankles? Sure. Don't cry to me when he cuts your face with the skate blade, buddy. (laughs) Like there are refs, but they're just for show. Like you can just do anything in hockey. And at most you're going to get benched for a little bit. You're going to get like put on in the box for like two minutes. 
And it's still kind of like that. Like hockey is like the only professional team sport where you can just like fighting is part of the game. Like you're expected to drop gloves and fight at some point and you'll just get put in the box. It's very strange. No, it's true. It's like, and I mean, we talked about it a little bit in the Naismith episode, but at the beginning of basketball, like there were no rules either. Like it wasn't until like the modern era of basketball that like, real steadfast rules for everything were put into place. Yeah, like, that's true. I wonder like if hockey is the same. It. Yeah. And, like, there's definitely more rules now in hockey, but Oh, yeah, still. but you're right. But it's the only sport that's not a fighting sport, like boxing or, like, yeah. judo. Or, like, like, it's just another sport that it's just, like, acceptable and, like, encouraged in some places, like, yeah. for some players to fight. Yeah, like, it's yeah. kind of like a badge of honor. Like Definitely less so now than in the 90s. I feel like the early yeah. 90s were, like, that's when, like, like Ty Domi and, like, that kind of era, like, when fighting was, like, really cool. Like, yeah. it was the thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I never played hockey. My dad played hockey. He's probably listening to this. Hi, Dad. Uh, but Hi. he can, he can confirm if this story is true or not. I remember him telling me though. It's like he used to play defenseman, and so like, and he fought a lot when he would play. But like his tactic was like in hockey, normally you like drop gloves, whatever, fight. I, I'm pretty sure my dad was like, yeah, my tactic was just don't drop gloves. Like yeah. while they're dropping gloves and their hands are down, just like beat the shit out of them. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I don't know. Just start wailing. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So Richard goes eight games without scoring because he just like has to deal with all of this garbage going on around him. Um, Right. And so he began Montreal's final regular season game on March 18th on the road against the Boston Bruins, who like for, again, not hockey people, that's like the biggest rivalry in hockey. It's probably one of the biggest rivalries in sports is... Montreal versus it's, Boston. It's also very interesting because in Nova Scotia, um, there's yeah. a huge Boston contingent. Yes. Um, for for many reasons. Um, we've talked about in previous episodes, the Halifax Explosion episode, the relationship with Boston. But um, especially, like, people either love Boston or hate Boston. Yeah. I mean, you have that with the Maple Leafs and, and, and Montreal, but I just feel like in Nova Scotia particularly, it's like... Toronto and Montreal both hate Boston. Yeah. Like everybody, it's the only thing anyone can agree on is that everybody, like if you're not a Boston fan, you hate Boston. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Another story from my dad, whatever. But my dad, he was in a bar in Ottawa watching like the Montreal Toronto game, I think. And he likes Montreal. And then some, somebody at the bar liked Toronto and they just got in this like huge, like, just like argument, but not obviously not a fight, but just like an argument about like hockey or whatever. And they're in Ottawa and like some guy at the bar was like, I like Ottawa. And they both turned. They're like, shut up. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. No one gives a shit. OK, it's yeah, like no one cares. No. And that's, also, that's also a general consensus in hockey. Like I'm not a massive hockey fan, but nobody gives a crap about Ottawa. No. Like, <laughs> It's just like, oh, you're named the Senators. Wow, this is what government is. Boo, go That's home. So cool. <laughs> only when they were doing well and they were kind of the only Canadian team doing well <laughs> that like people kind of cared. But then as yeah. soon as they weren't good anymore, people were like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah, so he's on the road in Boston. He has 49 points and it's the last game of the regular season. 
and he finally okay. reaches the milestone of 50 goals in 50 games. Uh, he reached the goal with two uh, minutes and 15 seconds remaining in the game. So he came so close to, like, not Ooh, getting it. Um, that makes it even more sweet. I like, know. I like it even better. <laughs> It's like yeah. just under the wire uh, in, a, cool. in a 4-2 Montreal he, win. And he had to get two goals to do it? He only needed one going in. Okay. But again, okay. yeah, and you're also in Boston where everybody hates you. Like, Yeah, we're, yeah. <laughs> you have thousands of people. Well, I don't know how many people. Now you would have thousands of people telling you that you suck. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, they're just as bad then. Boston has always been terrible. <laughs> Boston. But it's also funny because I was like, like, it's kind of, I think it's really fulfilling that Montreal and Boston have this rivalry because uh, Montreal fans and Boston fans are the same. Like, they're yeah. both loud and, like, violent. They're just the same I can't people. understand what they're saying half the time. <laughs> exactly. Like, they're made for each other in this yeah. weird roundabout way. That's <laughs> yeah, so true. It's the perfect, like, karma. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he became the first player to score 50 goals, a record that would stand until uh, 1960-61 to 61 season, where his fellow Canadian and former teammate, Bernie Boom Boom Jeffrion, scored 50 goals in 64 regular season games. So it took Bernie him longer. Boom Boom. Boom Boom Jeffrey, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Hockey nicknames <laughs> are the best. <laughs> oh, man. Are they ever? Uh, Richard's mark would not actually be surpassed uh so like 50 goals in 50 games um until bobby hall scored 54 oh. goals in 65 games while playing with the chicago blackhawks during the 65 66 season um okay. so his mark of 50 goals in 50 games also became a standard that remains one of the most celebrated achievements in nhl history so it's just like just like one of those things, like it's not yeah. necessarily awarded anything, but if you can score 50 goals in 50 games, it's like a really big deal. It's like the Gordie Howe hat trick. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's just like, it's not a real statistic, but it's a statistic that's kept that everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was unmatched until, uh, 19, uh, 36 years later when Mike Bossy did it in 18 or 1981. Ooh. 1881 time traveler time traveler Mike Bossy <laughs> which like I don't know why we give a shit about the 50 goals and 50 games the man's a time traveler <laughs> it's like no no the hockey statisticians are like uh time traveling no what what'd he do <laughs> yeah he's just like I'm a time traveler but I want to be remembered as a hockey player <laughs> yeah. so Canadian yeah <laughs> And, and to this day, there are only five players, I believe, who've done it. Um, well, that's The cool. 50 goals in 50 games. And it's been more than 70 years since Richard did it. So, like, wow. it's really uncommon to have that much of a streak. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Richard finished the season with 73 points, seven behind Locke, and six ahead of Blake, so the other two members of the punchline. Uh, but oh. that made the punchline number one, two, and three in league scoring. That's cool. Like, that's crazy. That's, like, that's so good. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Richard finished second in the voting for the Hart Trophy as league MVP oh, yeah. behind Locke. Uh, so Locke winds up getting okay. it. Richard okay. again reached lofty scoring goals um, in the 46-47 season, leading the league with 45 goals in 60 games, 
um, and winning the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player for the only time in his career. Yeah, that's I did know that fact about the Rocket is yeah. that he only won the Hart Trophy once. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, in his entire career. But when you talk about like the people who win the Hart Trophy, the Rocket doesn't really fit the mold he doesn't really fit the bill of being like he's a a little like fuck the man in his attitude he's very like i don't give a shit about the establishment which doesn't do great when the league is the people who decide who gets to be mvp every year it's a popularity contest the heart trophy is a bit of a popularity contest yeah and also he doesn't really lead in points very like he never led in points so because jacques plant won the Vesna, but won, didn't he? Yeah, he won, he won like Vesna six Vesna trophies. But didn't but, he also win the heart? Yes. So he won. Yeah. He won like six Vesna trophies, and he won the heart yeah. trophy. I think. I think that's the trophy he found out he won while he was in a, like a casino in exactly, Vegas. Exactly. That's yeah. what I was thinking. He was in Vegas, and he was talking, and the guy's like, "Oh, congrats!" Yeah. He's like, for, for like, what? Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, I just won the cup," and they're like, "No, man, for the heart trophy." He's like. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. And then didn't he like call his wife? Yeah, something like that. And his wife's like, yeah, the telegraph. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Like crazy. Yeah. I've been getting so many doing? fucking calls. Yeah. <laughs> but She's like, I'm not your secretary, I'm your freaking wife. <laughs> <laughs> because Vez- the Vesna Trophy exists, I feel like goalies don't get the Hart Trophy very much, even though like technically a goalie should get it every year. I would agree. And I think that's probably why you have to do it like that. Because it's like, you know, the MVP trophy in soccer or hockey, you know, it's the goalie is deserving of that every game. So that's why there has to be like other awards for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes it takes a lot for a goalie to become a heart trophy winner. I feel like you probably have to be like you have to have like a banner year for them to be like, Yeah. yeah, not only are you getting the Vesna trophy, you're getting the heart trophy. Yeah. But yeah, so he wins the Hart Trophy for the, the first time and only time in his career after this season. Um, opponents continued to attempt to basically just like incite rage in Richard. <laughs> like that's their defense. Like that's how you get him is like you get him under his skin and then the refs like call him on something. Um, so they would usually like goad him into taking himself out of games by violently retaliating and fighting. And that oh was like, God. that's how you beat him, was basically just get him angry. Yeah. One, one such incident occurred in the 1947 Stanley Cup Finals when Richard received a match penalty for striking Toronto's Bill Ezeniki, Ezeniki? Um, over the head with his stick in a game, <laughs> which people aren't pinatas. I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> if you didn't know Maurice, um, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, Did he look like a colorful donkey? <laughs> well, he's a Toronto Maple Leaf, so yeah. Oh, oh, but boom! <laughs> um, so he wound up getting suspended for the third game of the finals, which Toronto then won. Mm. Following the 46-47 season, Richard's career fell into a bit of a slump, at least by his standards. Uh, As reigning MVP, he sought out a pay raise, which he was denied, despite sitting out the preseason. So he's like, I'm withholding my talents. And they're like, we're not going to pay you more. He's like, fine, I'll Uh come back. 
Um, How sports have changed, you know? Like, I know. It's insane. Because players, they just have so many rights. (laughs) Yeah. Just like women. Just like women. (laughs) That was sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. That was a joke. And it was funny. And it was funny. (laughs) Uh, the punchline winds up getting broken up because Toe Blake suffers a career-ending leg injury. And oh. then Richard's season ended early because of a knee injury. So, like, two of their top players are out. Oof. He finished second in team scoring with 53 points in 53 games, but Montreal missed the playoffs. Oof. After recording only 38 points in the 48-49 season, Richard posted a 65-point campaign the next season, and his 43 goals led the NHL for the third time. Okay. The so fo- he brought it back. Yeah, like he, he's bouncing back. Um, the following season, he recorded 42 points, including his 271st career goal, making him Montreal's all-time goal leader. Mm-hmm. In 51-52, injury was Richard's main opponent. Uh, He missed 20 games due to injury, but returned for the playoffs. In the seventh and deciding game of the semifinal against Boston, Richard was checked by Leo Lebin and was briefly knocked unconscious after he fell and struck his head on Bill Quackenbush's knee, which Mm -hmm. that's a name that somebody had to live with. Also. His first name is Bill. So like a duck bill? Yeah, can we just hold up? His last name is Quackenbush? Quackenbush, yeah. Quackenbush. 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 <laughs> and it's literally spelled like quack. Like quack in bush. Yeah. Hmm. That's a shame. That's a sin. That's just That's a, a sin, sin right there. <laughs> For all of our non-Nova Scotian fans, that's what a sin is. That's a sin. (laughs) That's a sin. (laughs) So, Richard is clearly concussed, um, as I think half of NHL players were during this period of time. No helmets, bad idea. (laughs) Yeah, no helmets is a bad idea. Uh, Lots of concussions. (laughs) Attack the noggin. So he's, like, stumbling and, like, like, rocking back and forth, but he comes back in the third period um, after having the massive gash above his eye stitched up, and he's thrown in by Mm. Coach Irvin, who knew fully well that this dude is, like, not good. He's just like, he's like, this dude is super concussed, but we gotta throw him in. Um, I also love, because through while I was researching this, they always call it (laughs) dazed. It's like, he was Uh, dazed. I was like, no, he was concussed. Yeah, he was concussed (laughs) shit. Like, he was not dazed. He's not dazed. Who was I? I was talking with uh, Eric and he was like telling me the story of like someone who got concussed on Edmonton. They're like, he was on the bench and like after getting hit really hard in the head. And they're like, oh yeah, he's like kind of dazed or whatever. And it's like, I think he might have a concussion. It's like, well, how do you know? It's like, well, he thinks he's Wayne Gretzky. Oh, (laughs) okay. And they're like, and then the coach was just like, well, tell him he's not fucking Wayne Gretzky and get him (laughs) back out there. I love that. (laughs) That's like that's how my stepdad Paul would react to that situation. Like, I mean, obviously, like he he would he would take a sports injury seriously, but like if like a little kid was like playing around and they were like, "I'm Wayne Gretzky," he'd be like, 
Tell him he's not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Somebody tell this four-year-old he's not Wayne Gretzky. Like, Paul's just so literal. Like, that would not, like, he would not have time for that. Like, watching Paul, watching Paul raise my sister, who is 11 now, like, watching him with a little girl, he was just like, what do you mean you're a princess today? <laughs> today. I'm, I'm a princess named, named Butterfly Rainbow. And Paul would be like, no, you're not. Your name is Peyton. She'd be like, Butterfly Rainbow. <laughs> she has an indomitable spirit. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. will not be no. broken by literalism. <laughs> Paul, oh, Paul could not get it. Paul is so, like, literal. That's so funny. <laughs> Huh. Um, so he's thrown back into the game late in the cor- uh, late in the third period, um, but Richard does wind up like scoring the winning goal that makes it a two one victory for Montreal that sent them to the Stanley Cup Finals, and Montreal would go on to lose the finals to Detroit in fifty two. Yeah. That's the Gordy Howe years. These are the Gordy Howe years. They played basically the same time for the most part. I yeah, think, I think the Rockets think- a little older than Gordy Howe. But yes, Gordy Howe's just a little bit younger, but uh, but yeah. Yeah. In the 52-53 season, uh, the Rockets pers- was pursuing the all-time NHL record for goals scored. So mm-hmm. he's got like this new personal goal in mind. The number to beat is 324, which he tied in a two-goal effort in Toronto. So okay. he fails to break the tie in the following three games. Again, I'm sure because people are like, don't let him break it. <laughs> like, yeah. let's just beat him. But then on his fourth attempt in the Montreal Forum in front of a home oh, yeah. crowd, he manages yeah. to score his 325th goal. Mm-hmm. Canadians fans shook the rafters, according to the Montreal Gazette. He finished the season with the team's leading totals of 61 points and 28 goals, becoming the first player in NHL history to score at least 20 goals in each of his first 10 full seasons. That's insane. Yeah. And, like, most of the time he's doubling that. Like, most of the time he's in, like, the 40s. Yeah. That's also such a, when you tie it, when you, like, get to the record, there's so much added pressure on that, too. I know. You get, like, like, the oh, like, I gotta do it. Like, I gotta do it. And everybody else is like on the opposing teams is like, don't let him do it. And then like your team's probably not even playing their best game because they're just trying to get you the puck because they yeah. want you to be able to do it. So it's like, I feel like that just throws everything like so off. Yeah. And it's almost better to go in like one point under. So like yeah. maybe you could score two and like no yeah, one will really be expecting like, it not, necessarily. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's definitely a lot of pressure. So aided by Richard's seven goals in the 12 playoff games, the Canadians defeated Boston in the 1953 Stanley Cup Finals to capture Montreal's first Stanley Cup since 1946. So that's the other thing is, like, he's always, like, achieving a lot. And not that the team's doing poorly necessarily, but they're not, like, winning cups a lot during his early career. They won one in his, like, first full season. And then they haven't won again in, like, eight years or six years. The following two seasons were marked by personal achievements, including his 400th career goal on December 18th, 1954 against Chicago. That said, the team itself did not exceed expectations. The 55-56 season, however, was different. So they kind of like, not that the team's doing bad, but they're not like incredible. Um, Right. In the 55-56 season, however, the team, and especially Richard, was charged with a new energy following a series of events that had taken place the year before. 
These events were capped off with something called the Richard Riots, which like we just do not have time to get into because it is like there's like a lot to unpack there. Um, But they resulted in Maurice's suspension from the league for the remainder of the season. So like this shit goes down and like he gets um, yeah, he gets penalized for the rest of the season by league president. Wow. Um, Campbell, Clarence Campbell, I think is the name. That's heavy. Yeah. Uh, and Quebec wow. was not happy about it, as you can imagine. Hence the Naturally. riots. <laughs> um, Naturally. But the, the rocket. Welcome to Quebec, <laughs> where uh, you penalize one of our great athletes and uh, we hate you. Yeah. I think as we yeah. mentioned last episode, Aiming we're like, children. <laughs> <laughs> like Montreal will riot. If the news is good, if the news is bad, it's always a riot. (laughs) Always an extreme reaction. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the Rocket promised his fans that he was going to return the following season and he was going to help the club by guiding their new young roster to the Stanley Cup. He's like, I will do this. And he he delivered. But not only did he deliver by leading them to the 55-56 Stanley Cup, he establishes like a dynasty that wins yeah. five consecutive cups. So which, this is the Jacques Plante. This is the Jacques Plante years. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. it's not like the punchline. Like that's like his early career. Now he's yeah. the veteran on the team. He has a yeah. whole new young roster of players. He's got seven kids at home. He's got to <laughs> feed. He's taking this serious. He's a man with no fucks left yeah. to give. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so the season began with the arrival of his young brother and future fellow NHL Hall of Famer, Henri Richard, or the Pocket Rocket, which is also an excellent nickname. (laughs) So this era is also marked by the return of Punchline teammate Toe Blake, but now as head coach of the Canadiens. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and along with general manager Frank Selke, Toe Blake worked with Richard on moderating his temper and responding to the provocation of his opponents by scoring goals rather than fighting. He did like, a little yoga. Yeah, it's like know? use that energy to fuel your play rather than breaking sticks over people's heads, please. And yeah. thank you. You can help that, your team that way. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Or- we're I, over that. I also imagine Toe Blake is like coming back. He's like, fuck, he's still doing this shit. Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah. years. <laughs> um, Richard finished the season with 38 goals and 71 points, which is, that's a, that's a lot of points. Yeah, that's substantial. Um, which again was second on the team uh, yeah. in both respects. So Jean Beliveau outscored him and uh, in goals and points. He had uh, oh. seven, 47 goals and 88 points. Ooh, Jean Beliveau. Jean Beliveau. The 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 arrival of Jean Beliveau, who is a, killing a, it. My grandfather's favorite hockey player, apparently. <laughs> apparently, um, Richard added fourteen points in ten playoff games as Montreal defeated Detroit to claim the Stanley Cup. He scored the second and ultimately cup clinching goal in the fifth and final game in a three one victory. Nice. So in going into his fifteenth season, so he's like you know he's been around he's kind of an older player um but for the first time he's named captain of the montreal canadians so like up until Aww. this point he's never really been captain which i kind of understand like i don't think he's the man you're supposed to follow necessarily no <laughs> he's got I some opinions so. <laughs> and he acted like a true leader en route to their second consecutive cup 
In the 57-58 season, so the next season, he reached the goal of 500 goals scored. He only managed to play 28 regular season games due to a severed Achilles tendon, but he did return in time for the postseason, leading the team with 11 goals and 15 points. He scored the overtime winning goal in the fifth game of the finals against Boston, and it was the sixth playoff overtime winning goal of his career and the third that's, during the finals, which are both NHL that's records. So cool. Yeah. So yeah. he's also clutch. Like, I think that's the other thing. Like, he's not even, yeah, he's, he's not just, just good. Like, he never falters under pressure. I was just going to say, yeah, the pressure doesn't really seem to get to the prep, the pressure of like gameplay doesn't mm. seem to affect his head in that moment. Like, yeah. 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 Like, you can yell um, at him and he'll punch you, but the the weight of the moment isn't really felt, I don't think. <laughs> so by the time Montreal is pursuing its fourth consecutive cup, Richard is the oldest player in the league at 37. So he stuck right. around for a long time. The, right. The unfolding of his season was typical. Lots of goals and a lot of missed games due to injury. He okay. scored 38 points in 42 games, uh, missing six because of a broken ankle. Which okay. also only six games because of a broken ankle. That's impressive. Like, it's stupid. <laughs> it's like, just take care of yourself. That's stupid. <sighs> the following season was the same um, as he missed a month due to a broken cheekbone. Uh, Montreal, Sad. nevertheless, won the Stanley Cup in both of those seasons. Um Richard scored no points in four games in the 1959 Stanley Cup Finals, but recorded a goal and three assists in the 1960 campaign. Okay. That playoff goal in 1960 was Richard's last, as on September 15, 1960, he announced his retirement as a player. Richard had reported to Montreal's training camp that autumn, but Selkie compelled Richard to end his playing career. Um, fearing that he that's, was risking serious injury again. That's better than dying, though. I thought you were going to be like, and that was his last playoff goal because he died. Because he um, died. <laughs> yeah. No, it was his boss being like, you're going to die. Stop. <laughs> Please stop. Right. <laughs> In Richard's retirement speech, he said he had been contemplating le- leaving the game for about two years and stated at the age of 39, the game had just become too fast for him. Aww. Upon learning of Richard's retirement, Gordie Howe, Mr. Hockey, offered praise to his former rival. He sure was a drawing card. He brought in the crowds that helped pay our wages. Richard certainly has been one of the greatest players in the game, and he will be missed. Um, Even though I'm sure he didn't really miss him that much. (laughs) No, but there is something to be said for having a competitor, you know? Yeah. Like, Like, you would miss that rivalry. You would... Like, that's a way to get hyped up, you know? Like, especially in team sports, to have that one person who is, like, your rival, like, not just a team, like, that one person that you're competing with. Yeah. I feel like you would miss that. I mean, I'm sure he didn't hate... (laughs) I'm sure he didn't hate, you know, not having someone so talented, but... Yeah, um, but also, I can't imagine having a time when those two teams would play a lot more than they play today. Like Detroit and Montreal don't play that much against each other today as much as they would then. Yeah. And just like having both of two of the most prolific fighters ever. Yeah. (laughs) Active and at their primes at the same time. Like this is dangerous. Yeah. Very dangerous. Yeah. 
Upon his retirement as a player, Selkie offered Richard a job as team ambassador and promised to pay him his full playing salary in the first year. After serving okay. in the position for three years, Richard was named vice president of the Canadians in 1964, but he became disgruntled with the role because he felt like it was powerless and was only given to him like as an honorary position. And so he resigned after yeah. a year. Yeah. Richard grew estranged from the organization as his desire to be involved in the team's operations were ignored and the split deepened when the Canadians forced Frank Selke to retire in 1965. Um, he eventually refused to allow the Montreal Canadiens to use his name in association with them at all. He was just like, really? don't, don't speak my name kind of thing. Yeah, like it really bad blood wow. for a little while with the organization. Richard struggled in retirement and had this like weird fear for his legacy. <laughs> so like he's constantly worried that people are going to forget him. So he's so like, don't say my name, but don't you dare forget about me. I know exactly. So like he attaches what? his name to all these different like businesses and like he's in a bunch of commercials and stuff. So he uh, had his name attached to a magazine, a pub, a beer, hair dyes, car batteries, fish hair dyes and, and children's toys. Yeah. He's just like a salesman now. He's like, yeah, I'll just wow. basically selling out his name. Um, wow. He did briefly return to the world of hockey as a coach of the Quebec Nordiques. But he left oh. after only two games. He was like, there's way too much stress in being a team coach. <laughs> I can't yeah. do that. Um, yeah. Eventually, Richard did reconcile with the Canadians um, in 1981, and he resumed his role as team ambassador. So eventually okay. things like calm down. It was announced in 1998 that Richard was diagnosed with abdominal cancer. He died of the disease two years later on May 27, 2000, and he was entombed at the Notre Dame de Neige uh, Cemetery in Montreal. Quebec okay. honored Richard with a state funeral, and he was the first Quebecois to receive a state funeral that was not a politician. Wow. So he's like the first just like person to get one. Um, That's a big deal. Over 115,000 people paid their respects. Oh, my God. By, view, by viewing his uh, lying in state at the Molson Center, which replaced the Montreal Forum. Yeah. Prior to game one of the 2000 Stanley Cup finals between the New Jersey Devils and the Dallas Stars, there was a short tribute video highlighting the great moments and legacies of Richard's career. Mm hmm. So Maurice the Rocket Richard is widely considered one of the NHL's all-time greatest players and received many accolades during and after his life, both within and without the sporting world. He was the inaugural member of the Order of Canada. So he's like Whoa. one of the first, like the year that it came out, he was inducted. Which That's I so like, cool. Which is really cool, yeah. And then in 1998, he was elevated to the rank of Companion of the Order of Canada. The Montreal Canadiens donated the Maurice Rocket Richard Trophy to the NHL in 1999 as an award presented annually to the league's leading goal scorer. Yes. And that's the story of the Rocket. But oh, we're, not, we're not done. Because what? next week we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Richard riots because they're so fucking crazy and weird that I didn't have Are enough time. Real? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Oh. So we're gonna I do love this. we're gonna do like the rocket part two, but very specifically about the Richard riots because I think they are yeah, weird. Think, you know that's funny because like 
you just like so casually brushed them off and I was like oh that is so something Grace is into like she has researched this herself like just for fun but now I get to learn about it too now you get to learn about it too yeah it's like they're really You're such like a crazy. Giver. I know I'm just so generous <laughs> Um, but they're also like a big part of the reason he kind of becomes this, uh, Quebecois icon. Like before he's like cool and awesome and he's a great Quebec player, but kind of after the riots, he gets cemented as almost like this folk hero of the Why he got this state funeral. Yeah. Yeah, Like it's a lot of those like things. And and he certainly invested in his legacy. Like, I think it was really important to him that he was not only like, praised as a hockey player but like remembered right so that's why he does all that silly stuff but also the reason like he tries to come back to the Montreal organization and um so for a lot of Quebecois people he's like this really big hero and it's debatable about like how significant the riots actually were to that but I think the riots play a big part of it and uh yeah we're gonna get like all into that next week it's super exciting there's lots of fighting lots of I love it do they burn stuff? Oh, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> well, that's not even the half. Of I'm in. No, I'm in. This script was about uh, nine and a half pages. I have eight pages just about the riots. <laughs> no. Oh my god, that's so funny. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, what a great way to end this episode. A little cliffhanger. A little cliffhanger. A little drama. Salting it a in. Drama. Yeah, I love it. Grace is Grace is doing a little salt bay action salt right bay now action. with her pretend salt. Yeah, oh, she does a great job. Um, uh, so yes, that was amazing. I'm so excited. Thank you. No problem. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Minute Women podcast, and to Grace for giving us that wonderful cliffhanger of an episode. I did not see that coming. That was exciting and entertaining. And I'm excited to learn more about the Rocket and the Montreal Riots or Rocket Riots. The Richard Riots, Rocket Riots. Richard Riots. Okay. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Uh, To all of our listeners out there, if you are not following us on our social media channels, what are you doing? We are on Instagram at the Minute Women Podcast and Facebook at the same name. And then we're on Twitter at the Minute Women. Uh, we hope that you will go follow us, check us out, send us a message, comment on our posts. We love to give feedback and we love to hear feedback. So if you have any questions, please let us know. We'd love to uh, chat. And make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you listen to us on. We're on all major platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave us a review. It's the biggest help for us right now. We're hoping going out into 2021 that we're going to have lots of new projects and new ways for you guys to support us. But for right now, leaving us a review, rating the podcast, that's the best way to get the word out. And, you know, the mythic algorithm of the Internet really likes it. (laughs) So make sure you do that and make sure that you share the podcast with all of your friends word of mouth is the best review yes also check out our website www.minutewomenpodcast.ca it has all of our episodes plus all of the links to the sources that grace uses so if you want to check any of those facts or want to uh look a little bit further into the heritage ministry yourself uh, all those resources are there awesome all right see you guys next week bye